and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor. In today's episode, we're deep diving into the fintech scene in Singapore. In the decades after gaining independence in 1965, Singapore has rapidly developed from a low-income country to a very high-income country. With this has come a push for better financial services. The island nation of Singapore has met that need and established itself as one of Asia's and the world's key financial hubs. In the most recent World Bank Human Capital Index, Singapore ranked as the best country in the world in terms of human capital development, which points to a promising future too. So today we're looking at how things look in 2022, what challenges there are still to overcome, and what's next for Singapore's fintech ecosystem. So let's get started. As always, I'm not alone, but I'm joined by a panel of two amazing guests who can shed some light on all things about fintech in Singapore. First off, I'm joined by Jonas Turek, head of F10 in Singapore. Welcome, Jonas. Can you give our audience a brief overview of F10 and your activities in Singapore, please? Sure. Hi, hi, Benjamin. Hi, guys. So excited to be here for my, my debut on, on the 11FS um, podcast. But about F10, F10 is, is really a fintech and Web3 incubator and accelerator that originally was founded in Switzerland in 2015. Uh, I'm, I'm myself Swiss, but, but moved here a few years ago. And we've since incubated and accelerated over 200 startups and expanded geographically um, to Spain and Singapore. Here we work with um, traditional corporate partners. We work with a bank, Julius Baer, Six Group, Franklin Templeton, R3, and Clayton, a layer one blockchain out of Korea. And on the startup side, we really work with startups from across APAC. I would say from 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 India all the way to Korea, Southeast Asia, all, all the way down to Australia. And we help and provide the stars with funding, corporate partner access, as well as mentoring coaching throughout our program. Fantastic. Welcome. And also making a debut on Fintech Insider, we're joined by Diana Yamalayeva, uh, Chief Executive and Co-Founder of GPay. Thank you so much for being here, Diana. Can you give our listeners some insight into yourself and into GPay, please? Hi, Benjamin. Thank you for having me. Um, absolutely. So my name's Diana. Uh, I'm originally from Ukraine, but I moved to Singapore um, a year ago, exactly a year ago, uh, to run GPay. And so uh, what we do at GPay is we're a fintech focused on migrant domestic workers here in Singapore. Uh, typically, uh, foreign domestic workers uh, lack banking services uh, when living in Singapore and other Southeast Asian countries. And we're focused on changing that. Um, the way we've done that is actually through going through the employer. So the families where helpers work. And so our first product is basically an app connected to a card for families to manage their helpers spending. Um, and soon we're rolling out more features such as personal finance features for the helpers. I have to backtrack for people in the UK. Um, helpers is essentially a live-in domestic worker. So like a cleaner, a nanny, anyone that lives and works in your household. And here in Singapore, it's very typical to have that. So one in five Singaporean households actually have a live-in worker uh, who lives in the house, typically comes from the Philippines or Indonesia. Myanmar um, is becoming increasingly popular as well. And um, it's something we don't really have in Europe, but here is a fact of life. Fantastic. Well, we have we have listeners all around the world, not just in the UK. So that explanation will have been helpful to many people. Um, well, it's great to bo have you both here. And, and let's dive in. But just before we do that, I don't want to um, move on without mentioning your nationality and just um, wishing the best to you and your family. I know that Ukraine is obviously going through a, a terrible time following the Russian invasion. So I, I wish all the best Thank for you, you and your family. It must be a very, very difficult time for you. So um, I don't want to ignore that. Thank you. Thanks, Benjamin. 
Okay, well, let's um, move to looking at the Sing Singapore fintech ecosystem um, and look at how things are in 2022. Um, obviously, Singapore is a very dynamic market. Uh, it's It's been a trading hub since its foundation. Um, how would you, I'd like each of you to try and sort of sum up uh, the sort of fintech ecosystem in, in Singapore. Uh, both of you have moved there as outsiders. Um, how would you sum up the market in, in, in three or four words? How, how do you think about Singapore? And maybe let's, let's go to you, Diana, first, and then, and then to Jonas. Sure thing. Um, I think from the fintech standpoint, pretty welcoming. Uh, that's number one. Um, as a foreigner, it's actually very feasible to come in and set up a fintech here. So that's number one. Number two, flexible. Um, and number three, um, a hub. Uh, Singapore is definitely a fintech hub for the rest of Southeast Asia and beyond. Yeah, I came up with a similar uh, few words. So I, I would first call it a, a very vibrant ecosystem. So there are actually more than a thousand startups here. And there are a lot of I mean, competency. So it's a very vibrant ecosystem uh, with a lot of activities. It's also very multicultural. So the fact of, of, of you guys having actually two um, non-Singaporeans in this um, podcast kind of shows that it's a very multicultural place where you have really startups and founders and, and um, yeah, really career people from, from all, over, all, all over the world. And then I think it's also now well-recognized uh, when I talk to my colleagues in Europe or other places, I think people are really looking at Singapore now as a fintech hub. And um, yeah, it's it's really getting there. What have been some of the biggest changes or most important changes in the, in the past couple of years? Because clearly that, you know, the pandemic has, you know, has affected people all around the world and been very difficult for, for millions of billions of people around the world. Um, but it's hit sort of trading cities like Singapore hard because, you know, they've relied on people coming in and out, um, you know, that influx of talent, of, of people coming and visiting and so on. Um, what have been the important trends of the, in the past couple of years sort of through the pandemic? Has that hit Singapore as a, as a hub or do you think the city has, has managed to thrive in spite of it? So I only moved here a year ago, so it's hard for me to speak for what things were like pre-COVID. But I think, um, number one, I think COVID accelerated a lot of things from the fintech and payment specific point of view. Uh, one example for us is the adoption of cashless payments. So back a couple of years mm -hmm. ago, um, it seems like in places like the wet markets, and uh, other smaller stores, it was impossible to pay by card or some kind of electronic payment. Today, that's not the case. And that's why companies like us are able to thrive, because we basically rely on people wanting cashless solutions. I mean, I haven't touched Singapore dollar cash since I've arrived here, pretty much. Um, wow. So, so that's number one. Um, and then in terms of whether Singapore has been able to retain its status as this hub, um, I think, yes, uh, COVID hit uh, Singapore hard. And the government made a lot of choices, which... Um, were questioned in terms of being too harsh and COVID restrictions and so on and so forth. But now I think Singapore is coming out on top. Uh, Hong Kong is closed while Singapore is opening up. They just loosened all of the restrictions. Um, travel is basically back to pre-COVID um, in terms of restrictions. So anyone can come in and out. So there has definitely been a tough period, but there's an influx of people coming in Singapore because of how different it is from other countries nearby that are still adopting that zero COVID policy. So I think when you're comparing it to Europe, it's very different, but comparing to other Southeast Asian countries, it's definitely had a much more pragmatic approach. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think... You know, the government here is actually 
pretty supportive for for the ecosystem. So there were lot, lots of kind of government funds that were made available at the beginning of the of the pandemic. So personally, I just arrived in February 2020, um, right on time when when we're going when we're going into. Wow. <laughs> so I really experienced um, Singapore at like right at the beginning from at the beginning of the pandemic and um, the government has been doing quite a lot in terms of funding support and um, yeah I can actually agree also on the on the payments you know when I arrived I arrived actually um, from China was living in China for two years where I never touched cash anymore and then I arrived in Singapore and at the beginning of the first few weeks I actually had to carry around cash because I was not able to pay everywhere cashless and now I never carry my, my wallet anymore or or cash is just all paid uh, through QR. So that there's a huge development that happened. But there, I think there were now also a few more developments. If you look a bit beyond the uh, the pandemic, um, Singapore had its first kind of fintech unicorn with with Neum, for example, which really put Singapore again more on the spot here in the world. There was the SPAC uh, merger uh, of Grab that went public. So there are a lot of developments like that that really also help now to further accelerate. And I think now we are really at the tail end of the pandemic, also in Singapore. I'm very excited for uh, for 2022 and what's to come. You touched a couple of times um, in your earlier comments, um, Jonas, on on regulation and the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Obviously, has a has a strong reputation internationally. It's done a lot to support fintech in Singapore. Um, do you think that's right? Do you do you see the, the the regulator as as playing a sort of crucial part in the development of Singapore as a as a fintech hub? Um, is it continuing to move fast enough? Um, do you think to, to to keep Singapore moving? Yeah, I think for for the listeners from around the world, um, you know how I usually kind of compare um, like some countries in Europe. Like if I now compare Switzerland with Singapore, like Switzerland is very much a, a bottom up um, takes a very much a bottom up approach where um, companies, organizations, private organizations are really then helping to foster that ecosystem. Whereas here you are much more top down, where we have a very strong government that is really um, putting these policies in place. And yeah, MAS is one of those very strong organizations within Singapore. And yeah, they're doing a lot. So they have actually MAS is split into the regulator as well as kind of a promotion agency. Um, for fintech in in Singapore, so you have this um, that the grants are given out actually directly from MAS. They're supporting incumbents to um, set up, for example, um, innovation centers. So yeah, they are really playing a very important role. I think just five six years ago, um, when they started to really adopt a new policy, and things were very very quiet, and now um, it's a very vibrant ecosystem. So yeah, very very important. Um, MAS has played a very important role here in Singapore. Diana, I'm going to come to you with a slightly different question. How important are Singaporean customers themselves to, to the sort of fintech ecosystem in, in Singapore? Because obviously Singapore is, is not a huge city. You know, you can get from one end to the other in, in you know, less than an hour, well, depending on the traffic, right? Um, how important are the Singaporean customers to Singaporean fintechs? And, you know, how many... Singaporean fintechs have you know used Singapore maybe as you know as a, as a market to start developing products, but they're really focused on the bigger markets of of Southeast Asia. How important? I mean, so maybe for how important is it for GPay, and then how important is it perhaps more widely? Right, definitely. Okay, so I would divide the answer into you know what kind of fintech are you? Are you B two B? Are you B two C? Um, I think typically uh, for B two B fintechs, um, there's more of a market here. 
um, in a sense, right? Because there's a lot of corporates, there's a lot of uh, corporates, a lot of money. So you can build a very big business by just focusing on Singaporean companies. Uh, when it comes to Singaporean consumers, like people, um, there, most companies do have to expand elsewhere in order to capture that huge market size and, you know, become the unicorn. Um, that's where GPA is going to have to do. So we are like these other companies um, using Singapore as our base to develop our initial product, to get product market fit. And then it is our plan to um, expand overseas. Um, so it's definitely a bit of a testing ground for us as well. But that said, to GPay, um, Singaporean consumers are super, super important because our end customer, when we talk about domestic workers, they aren't Singaporean, right? They're Filipino or Indonesian, but they live in Singapore and they're incredibly dependent on their employer who is Singaporean. So it's super important for us to take into account the needs, the preferences, um, the cultural differences between uh, Singaporeans um, between expats, but even within Singaporeans, right? Um, the preferences of a, a Chinese Singaporean person or like a Malay person c can be quite different. Um, and we try to take those into account. Um, and as a foreign founder in Singapore, I try to be very aware of those. So when we started GPay, a lot of our initial customers, so the employers were expats, right? Because that's who I could market to more easily. I would post in Facebook groups for Singapore expat moms and say, hey, sign up to GPay, you know, manage your helper. Um, but that's a small section of the market. And today we're focusing on expanding and scaling in a way that appeals not only to foreigners, but to locals. And today our customer base is 70% local um, and that proportion is expanding. So um, they're hugely important. Really, really interesting. Jonas, where, where are you seeing investment I mean, uh, in different sectors of fintech in Singapore? Fintech, insurtech, regtech. Um, which areas are you seeing really attracting investment and people getting excited about? I mean, I'm tempted to assume it's crypto. Maybe it's not. Um, where, where are you seeing sort of excitement and heat in the market? Yeah, very interesting. I mean, yeah, definitely crypto or, or digital assets. Um, more broadly have really attracted a lot of money um, in, in the recent months and years. And I think, yeah, there are a lot of new funds also that have just been raised um, that are now uh, coming coming into the market. But I mean, we have definitely seen, you know, a bit of a, the, the peak was reached um, probably sometime last year. So I think valuations have now a bit um, come down again, which I think is a good thing. Uh, we just had most recently a startup called Instacart uh, that raised at a 40% lower valuation um, compared to what they raised last year. And um, now we're maybe back to eight to 10 times the revenue, whereas it was like at about 30, 30 times, right? Which really is probably not very sustainable. So I think it's coming down again, but I am not too worried that, you know, the, the funds will dry up because these funds have been raised. Hence, they will be deployed. Um, but yeah, crypto definitely a, a very, a very big um, topic. But I think also there's continued to be interest in, for example, RegTech is a big topic in Singapore as well. Um, corporates, especially if you look at the fintech space, I think um, kind of operational efficiencies, there's still a lot to be done. Maybe Asia is a little bit lacking behind because in the past they have been able to kind of nearshore that to countries where it was still affordable to have a lot of people, but now they're also moving towards that. And then I think also alternative data is a big topic for for incumbents, but, but obviously also startups where they're now using alternative data to, you know, improve risk risk management or increase alpha. There is a lot, a lot to be done. Very interesting. 
And that alternative data, is that being used both in sort of credit and in insurance? You're seeing sort of both both areas? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, maybe on the insurance side, what's really interesting for insurance, uh, looking at Southeast Asia, is really that under underinsured or uninsured market, right? And um, what I'm seeing quite a lot is now collaborations with startups, whereas a traditional insurer is now working with a um, like an e-commerce uh, player in Indonesia that has already millions of users, and they're now able to distribute uh, some of their products directly through these channels. So I think that's the very interesting part of of this part of the world to, to partner up with startups as well. Very interesting. I'm tempted to ask Diana about um, insurance and G-Paper. I need to move on. So I'm not, I'm gonna, maybe I'll sneak that question in a little bit later. <laughs> so I want to dive into some of the challenges in um, in Singapore and in fintech, uh, some of the challenges uh, the market currently faces and some of the potential opportunities um, for people who figure out how to solve them. Um, what do you see as some of the biggest pain points for startups in Singapore? And I think Diana, I'm, gonna, I'm maybe going to try and start with you. And Jonas mentioned, you know, a thousand startups in Singapore. That's quite a lot. Um, what are some of the biggest pain points for startups? You know, as you set up a startup in Singapore, what's what's hard, and what's specifically hard about doing it in Singapore rather than doing it in I don't know Hong Kong or um, San Francisco or wherever. For sure. Um, I think the fact of starting a company is simple, right? Like incorporating even as a foreigner, not a problem. Um, the other thing I was surprised about, which was quite simple, was getting the entrepass, which is the visa type that I'm on. Um, they, you know, the government is very supportive of foreign entrepreneurs coming in. Um, they're very practical about it. They don't want to see that you have millions of dollars, but they actually want to see that you have a good business plan and they're willing to take a chance of you if, if they think they have a good idea. But what is difficult, I think, especially for early stage startups is hands down hiring. I think that Singaporean people, especially locals, uh, tend to have a slightly more, um, slightly less risky uh, profile. And so you're basically, as a small startup, you're competing with big banks, but also, you know, the Grabs, the Gojeks, the Shoppies, the Lazadas of the world. And it's just super, super difficult to hire someone. Um, so you do end up having to spend a lot of funds uh, on salaries. And that's because also compared to, let's say, San Francisco, which you mentioned, um, I think that because the industry here is a little bit more nascent, um, people don't value equity compensation, so your ESOP, as much as they would um, if it was the Silicon Valley. Um, so I think as a founder, I just spend a lot more time selling GPay to potential employees um, than I perhaps expected uh, when I first came here. Um, and also it's not super easy to hire people from overseas. Um, it's not like in the US, right, where it's like impossible to H1B someone as a lottery. It's definitely feasible, but there are minimum salary requirements for an employment pass for a foreigner. Um, they're going up and the government does not look favorably on companies who exclusively hire foreigners and neither should they. Um, it makes sense. Uh, so my team, ex aside from myself, is exclusively Singaporean. Um, but uh, it's not easy to hire here, especially for tech talent. And it's, it's retention an issue as well. So, you know, sometimes hiring people is hard and then actually keeping people is hard. And, you know, I don't want you to talk about uh, retention at, at GPA in particular, because that's not really fair, but, you know, maybe Jonas or Diana, um, is, is retaining employees a problem in such a competitive market? Um, is it tough holding on to good people because they're constantly getting better offers? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm 100%... Supporting Diana's opinion here. That's what we're seeing with our portfolio companies as well, especially tech talent. We have here the the big um, the big tech companies as well, just being able to basically double the salaries of what they have right now. 
But frankly, it's actually not just a, a challenge for startups. It's also a challenge for um, incumbents, especially in financial services space. Which, yeah, but but even if you have good people on on your um, in, in your team, it is harder. I think um, the turnover is faster here. People are moving faster along. Um, fair enough. Um, but yeah, you need to be ready to um, probably be in 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 a way a bit in a constant hiring um, mode. <laughs> Got it. Constant, constant hiring, constant selling. Um, how how important is the role of the the, the banks? Um, you know, when you look at Singapore's big banks, uh, sort of DBS, OCBC, UOB, and so on. Um, DBS in particular has, has you know, as a reputation worldwide as one of the more innovative incumbent banks in the world. Um, is that is that helpful that, that the banks themselves have tried quite hard to embrace digital, you know, tried harder probably than banks in many other countries? Or is that actually difficult because it means they're competing for the same talent and actually they're slightly more attractive as employers as maybe, I don't know, the big, boring German banks, let's say. Um, is, it, is it helpful for the ecosystem that the banks have tried to embrace digital or, or are they or, or not so much? No, so I think you, you obviously asked the question from a hiring standpoint. Um, from that perspective, it, it, we're probably not competing with the banks as much as we are with the big tech companies, right? Because the kind of person who wants to go for work for a startup is probably the kind of person who would probably work for a tech company rather than a big bank, although there is some competitive element. But from a customer point of view, I think that it's fantastic that the banks have done this, right? Because there's already a standard. People are used to using mobile payments technology in 2022 in Singapore. So um, us offering them another mobile solution isn't outrageous. I think if they weren't already technologically savvy, weren't already um, accustomed to using mobile for digital banking, for payments, et cetera, et cetera, our job would be that much harder. And I've spoken to some founders that have tried to launch similar products like GPay, um, let's say in 2014, 2015, 2016, and it was an entirely different conversation. Um, so myself, I'm grateful to the banks for educating the customer for us so that we can offer them a seamless product. Yeah, and I, I think I would just add on um, the fact that, yeah, the banks and DBS yeah, being really as one of one of the most innovative banks um, recognized in the world. What what we have seen probably in 16, 17 is that every bank had their own innovation center and they were trying to actually build a lot by themselves. Um, I think especially with COVID and the acceleration of the of digitization, um, these banks realized, plus they cannot hire by the way the talent, they have realized um, we cannot actually do everything ourselves. And we might as well really need to partner up. And I think that's where um, the opportunity lies now in the last 24 months or so, where there's a lot more collaboration and there's a, a faster go-to-market. And, and also what happened was actually there were digital banking licenses handed out. So, for example, in the retail space, um, there are these um, three or four um, digital banks that are now coming onto the market and they will put a lot of pressure on onto the traditional players because again it's only a 5.5 million um yeah population here so there is a lot um, for the incumbents to catch up so personally me as a as a user I'm very excited for that because I I already see that um my banking app has been updated and it is getting more seamless and um, more paperless and things really um improve for the better for the consumer and I think this has been achieved by these banks, traditional players, through collaborations as well, because it's just not something you can build yourself overnight. So they have collaborated with a lot of startups, but also tech companies, established players. Really interesting. 
Diana, a, a, a question for you. One topic we often come to on FinTech Insider is, is the challenges for female founders and the 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 small numbers of female founders and indeed women in general in fintech. And um, it's, have you found that Singapore has been sort of welcoming of you as a woman? Have you, do you feel you faced any unique challenges being a woman founder um, or or not? Is there, is there good support for sort of women in fintech in Singapore? I think overall, I felt very welcomed and overall, it's a very positive environment. I think myself particularly, I'm, I'm lucky to have a very strong supportive network of, you know, founder friends, advisors, other female founders around me. Um, and that does make it um, very helpful. It's very personal. But at the same time, there are challenges. Um, I think as a female founder anywhere, um, Asia or elsewhere, um, there is that kind of second layer. First, you have to prove yourself as a founder and then as a woman. And I think one of the key issues, at least here in Singapore, is um, on the fundraising end. Uh, we recently closed our seat at GPay, and I spoke to, let's say, 100 VCs or something like that uh, when, when raising my round. And I was trying to count it the other day, and I think I spoke to maybe four or five female partners. Um, and I think that that's what makes it difficult. Um, there's a lot of females coming into fintech right now, but we're all young. Um, there are a few that are seasoned professionals, right? Seasoned VCs. And uh, that's what makes it a little bit difficult because as much as people try to be objective and keep an open mind, uh, you like to invest in people who are similar to you. Um, and, um, and there are issues surrounding that. I think actually in fintech, it's easier because this industry isn't very taboo. But I know founders that are in the femtech space or things like that. Mm. And um, these topics are taboos. And even uh, female investors who understand the startup, what the startup is trying to do, right, or the space, uh, they might feel like they shouldn't be investing in that company or they might feel awkward talking about these topics. And uh, that makes it more difficult for, for founders in this space. But overall, um, I think it's a very, very supportive environment and I'm lucky to be here. Jonas, I'm keen to hear your perspective on this, but also maybe broaden it out as well to sort of things like LGBT. You know, Singapore has some relatively regressive laws on LGBT rights or, or lack of rights for LGBT, for example. Um, and, and, you know, Diana made a good point about, you know, some subjects being taboo about, you know, parts of Singapore being a fairly conservative society. Um, is that a challenge? Is that a problem in terms of either talent or founders? You know, are there, are there things that you're trying to do at F10 to try and encourage more diversity in, in, in fintech? Yeah, I mean, we, we really also care about this topic and we, we always look at, at a diverse um, cohort as much as we can, right? But yeah, we, we definitely have also clearly more male than, than female founders, but we have we have every batch. We have really a number of female founders i would say also that the situation with lgbt rights not so sure how much it affects the startup space because actually like diana said it's a lot of topics are just taboos um in a way um I, i'm not sure how how it is in a corporate frankly but um i don't think the startup space has been really affected by that um it's also always a question is like what what are the altern alternatives right um, and there are not that many alternatives um, in the region that are much better, I would say. So I think, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it really has a big impact on, on the ecosystem so far from my two-year experience. 
I, I could imagine that it probably has an impact on incoming talent, right? Because if you're a member of the LGBT community here in Singapore, then yeah, Singapore is definitely a better place to be than Indonesia or Malaysia. If you're a, uh, let's say, US-based founder considering coming to Singapore, but you know about what the rules and the laws and the restrictions are here, um, you, you may want to you know reconsider or take that into account. Um, but that said, I think Singapore's approach uh, to the LGBTQ plus community is very much kind of like closing their eyes on it. So the law says one thing, but actually uh, people can, you know, exist pretty freely um, in Singapore, although um, it's, it's definitely a suboptimal environment. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point, Diana. Okay, we're just going to take a quick pause here and we'll be back very shortly. Did you know 40% of Australian fintechs are leaders on the global stage? Whether it's simplifying global banking, buy now, pay later, or smart tech for insurance providers, many brilliant ideas developed in Australia are winning in foreign markets. Isn't it time you got involved? Learn how Australian fintechs can power your business today. Visit shinewithaustralia.gov.au forward slash fintech. Here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services, and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you, or somebody you know, are up for a challenge, and fancy working for one of Flex's most flexible companies, come check out our open roles. We have roles in growth, product, sales, talent, and more. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. That's 11fs.com forward slash careers. Okay, let's move on from the present day and look at what the future may hold for uh, fintech in Singapore. So Jonas, I'm going to start with you because we we touched on crypto earlier. Um, Are we going to see uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain based uh, fintech starting to sort of overtake financial services in Singapore? How big a deal is that? Um, We've seen uh, Singapore ranked as a highly crypto-friendly country. Okay, it's not El Salvador. Um, but uh, how, how big a deal is crypto? Um, are you seeing a lot of activity in your portfolio? Where do you think the market's going? Yeah, definitely. So Singapore really has um, positioned itself as a crypto-friendly place. Um, and there has been, like basically, Singapore attracted a lot of companies. Also, for example, out of China, um, it's quite amazing how many exchanges and and talent actually came over from China, from the crypto space, as well as uh, movements from Hong Kong to to Singapore. So, it's um, yeah, it's a very vibrant um, ecosystem, Web three crypto, and we are also obviously very very much involved in that, working with with different partners on on programs. Um, mo- most recently, um, there were there was a bit of a kind of stepping back by the regulator, and especially towards. Kind of retail investor regulation. So right now, crypto companies can actually not advertise um, crypto towards towards retail investors in certain spaces. And um, people in the industry are a bit concerned. What that means is this now just one step back and then we go forward again, or, or how is this going to play out? But we have seen Binance actually moving out of Singapore and and very much. Um, together with a lot of other companies to Dubai. So I think it's going to be interesting to see whether Dubai is really the next place where everyone will be going or whether Singapore is able to to remain and keep the talent that has been built up in the last few years. But yeah, it's a it's a great place and there's a lot of talent also from the region coming coming in. Thailand might be the second 
interesting market and in, in Philippines as well, um, being a very, um, very much a market where uh, yeah, people are taking up crypto. Really, really interesting. Diana, I'm tempted to ask you where you see some of the opportunities for um, further sort of innovation and disruption in the future. So obviously with GPay, you've gone after one market of sort of underbanked and underserved people. And um, as I sort of suggested earlier, I can see insurance is potentially an opportunity for those people as well. What, what are some of the other opportunities you, you see in, in sort of Singapore and the wider Southeast Asian region? Are there, are there other opportunities you see for innovation and disruption from fintechs? Absolutely. I mean, from where I stand, I think that there's a lot that can be done for the underbanked. Um, basic banking is one, remittance is another, insurance, lending. Um, in Singapore, one issue is that typically uh, lower skilled migrant workers can only access credit via loan sharks um, and things like that. I think that's a space where a lot of innovation is required. There's basically nobody in Southeast Asia giving decent loans to migrants. Um, and that's definitely something that we would like to change in the future. Um, but otherwise, I think that there's definitely a lot of business models that have been proven overseas, like the US, um, like Europe. And um, a lot of these are now coming to Asia. Um, so uh, it's exciting to see how the ecosystem will develop. Talking of things that are sort of coming to Asia that have been trialed elsewhere, um, open banking is an obvious um, opportunity as, you know, the Monetary Authority of Singapore has been sort of driving development of open banking. Is that going to start making a difference to people? What kind of opportunities does does that open up? Maybe, maybe, maybe first to you, you Jonas, um, and then perhaps back to you, Diana, on the point about the sort of underbanked. Does, is open banking an interesting opportunity for fintechs? Do you think that's going to drive change and make a difference to to, to real people's lives um, or, or not? Yeah, it's interesting. So Singapore yeah, has, has put this policy in place where um, the banks are asked to, to provide um, the data through, through open banking. And I think in terms of aggregation, um, that's very interesting. There are a couple of startups that are doing uh, things in that space. I personally don't think it's really going to change the landscape. <laughs> um here in Singapore, I don't think it's a, such a big deal. Does it does it matter in terms of the plumbing? I mean, in terms of sort of you know standardizing APIs and so on, is that going to make it easier? I mean, Diana was just making that point about the difficulty for unbanked or, or migrant workers of you know borrowing effectively. Well, would better API standards help sort of fintechs exchange data and get a better understanding of customers? Is it important at that level? Yeah, on that level, I'm sure. So kind of from the infrastructure side, yeah, definitely. Um, these traditional players are now, they need to provide that data through through a standardized API and that will help um, startups really also to to maybe work with the, with the incumbents on, on a different level. So yeah, that's definitely going to help. And I think that's something that was still lacking here. So in that sense, yeah, definitely makes sense. But for a consumer, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen that much, frankly. Diana, Jonas is pretty skeptical about open banking. Do you, do, you, <laughs> do you agree with him or do you think he's wrong? Honestly, I don't have enough knowledge in the space to talk about how it will affect consumers, but I do agree with the infrastructural point of view. Um, as GPA, as a young startup, we're not currently licensed ourselves, right? And so we work with banks and other payments institutions in order to basically plug into their APIs and build our solution on top of it, right? And that's where um, open banking really does help. Um, but... I can't say regarding uh, the customer solutions um, just from where I am. And maybe just one point on that is also that 
you know, the market is again, the market, the consumer market is not, not too big, right? So if you are a successful open banking startup in, in Europe or in the US, would you try to integrate? And I don't know how, how similar standards are, but maybe it's not the first market you go into because it's just a small, very small market. So maybe that's also why there hasn't been that of a huge uh, development here. Yeah, it would have to be a hub for, for other markets in Southeast Asia, wouldn't it? Okay, let's move on to um, this sort of climate change because um, I know that sounds a bit of a <laughs> non sequitur, but the, the Monetary Authority of Singapore has been trying to sort of improve standards around um, ethical social and governance funds and so on. Um, do you see that as an opportunity for Singapore to become a little bit of a, a sort of hub for uh, greener investing and um, for sort of fintechs that are trying to support um, you know, reduction of climate and uh, emissions and so on. Do you, do you see opportunities there, Jonas? Is there anything in your portfolio related to, to that? Yeah, definitely. So I think there are kind of two angles to that. So on the one hand, um, you can really see the demand from the consumers. And where I saw it the most was actually um, all of the, the bigger robot devices that are set up here in Singapore. They all started offering ESG portfolios to invest in um, in the last, uh, I would say, last 12 months, uh, which which shows that there is a demand from the customers and that's now on offer. And um, yeah, it, it's definitely a, a clear sign towards towards these offerings. Um, but on the B2B space, yeah, definitely there are fintechs out there. So we are working, we had a startup that we work with uh, called Green Arc Capital. They're providing um, impact data, uh, which, which includes ESG and, for example, private debt in the region. So yeah, the, the traditional players, they're all very, very much looking into that space uh, with, with, in terms of data, in terms of um, yeah, w- w- ways, to, ways to be more ESG friendly. And they have been, um, all the corporates really have been, had this topic on the top of their agenda. So I think definitely this is something that Singapore wants to put on the map, that they are at the forefront of, of these developments. And we are... Um, very much in favor of that and supporting that also with fostering and helping startups in the space. And Singapore definitely stands out in the region. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, we're getting to the end of the show. So I've got um, time for sort of one last question to you both. So where would you most like to see areas of sort of disruption and development in Singaporean fintech? What would you love to see happen in, in Singapore? Where do you see the big opportunities? What would you love to see being addressed by fintechs? Or where would you love to see a change? Um, maybe Jonas first. Yeah, as a person, I'm very bullish on, on blockchain and, and crypto. And I think, yeah, we, we're still, obviously, the, the retail, on the retail side, there are, there are quite a few offerings. But I'm really looking forward to seeing more of the incumbents to adopt the technology um, I think right now we are really still in that experimentation mode with those corporates, but I'm very um, excited um, when they are uh, actually picking this up. And that's a, that's a space that I'm, I'm very, um, very favorable about. And then I think also in terms of user experience, digitization, there is still quite a way to go for the traditional players here. And um, yeah, I am really looking forward to not having to go to branch anymore, which I still have to go from time to time <laughs> as a as an SME customer as well. And Diana, how about you? Definitely. Um, I think thinking from the customer point of view, 
Um, I am excited for more solutions to be offered, not just to migrant domestic workers, but other uh, marginalized or underserved communities. I think one aspect of this, for example, is younger people like children. Um, overseas, there are more financial products offered to uh, the younger generation in Singapore that's developing, and I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, and some of it is geographical. I think now with the reopening of the country, we can see again, or we're reminded of the fact that Singapore is so closely integrated with its neighboring countries, Malaysia, Indonesia. And surprisingly, um, from a financial point of view, um, they're not that well integrated. So, you know, sending money to Malaysia is not like sending money locally but everyone does it every single day and it should be easier. So we see already that Singapore is doing some of that. Um, they're integrating their own pay now system, for example, with Thailand. So you can basically bank transfer someone in Thailand with no fees. Um, well, that's coming soon at least. Um, and so I'm excited to see more of that uh, with the reopening of the country, with like globalization becoming a thing again. Um, I think that there's going to be more of that and it's going to be great for consumers. Really, really interesting. Okay, fantastic. Thank you both so much. That wraps up today's uh, discussion. Um, I wish you both great success with with your businesses. It's been super, super interesting hearing some of your insights and a little bit about your own businesses as we've talked about Singapore as a whole. So thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you and uh, your companies? Uh, Diana, where can people find out more about you and about GPay? For sure. So, I mean, our website's uh, gpay.app. We're on the App Store and on um, the Google Play Store. So uh, for anyone who wants a card for their helper or for their kid, um, please check out the site or our App Store listing. Excellent. And Jonas, how about you and F10? Yeah, F10 you can find on f10.global. And myself, you can find me probably easiest on LinkedIn. And Jonas Thurik, um, you will see me there. And you can find me, Benjamin Ensor, on 11fs.com or on LinkedIn. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast and please do leave us a review to help us know how to improve the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11fs or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye.